the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Big seminar coming up in Palo Alto Elks Lodge, February 6th. That's really right around the corner. Calendar says 2020, so it's new year. We're still early in the year. There's some things that happened that were a little bit tricky at the end of 2019. As far as what Congress got pushed out, the SECURE Act. And there's a little bit something I want to bring up with CFP Chad Burton, who will be at the seminar February 6th in Palo Alto, 630 to 830. It's a Thursday evening about income and retirement and other wealth issues. Um, Chad, did you see recently that President Trump mentioned that Social Security may be on the table. He didn't really quite say that. But talking about reforming Social Security, and the only way you reform it is higher taxes or delayed payouts or less payouts. The way I'm doing the math, that doesn't sound too good for retirement issues. So let's start with 2020. Which of those mini topics do you want to start with first, the end of 2019 or 2020? Uh, let's not, let's never look in reverse, right? I guess we can learn lessons in reverse. Sure. And that is that, yeah, corrections come and then they go, you forget about them pretty quickly. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess let's just look forward and, and I agree with this. Social security definitely needs to be tackled. It's a game of math. It's a completely, you know, unfair system as a system to help keep, keep people out of poverty, which we need things like that. But, um, the the way it's paid out, the way it's taxed, it's 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 a joke. And mathematically, it doesn't work. Luckily, we have the millennials that are supposed to be bigger than the baby boom population. So it's not like we're in Japan. Japan's in a world of hurt. It happened, you know, it was just there. And talking to some of the tour guides about it, um, they're still recovering, Rob, from their great recession of the '80s when they went into a trade war after a bubble with the U.S. And um, everything always feels like a bubble to them. And they don't have a younger population like we do to help support some of the systems that they have, which um, some of the systems are great. Like in Tokyo, I think they have like a thousand homeless people and that's about it. Wow. Uh, But there is a problem with debt to GDP. They're way ahead of us in terms of debt to GDP. And they don't have the demographics like we do, which makes it, I mean, our demographics are one thing that makes the U.S. so attractive over the next, you know, 50 years, really. Let's talk about that for just a second, because I just dug up a story yesterday, and I could send it to you probably tomorrow, um, so it's a little too late. But the demographics, the article talked about the baby boomers having done their part. They kind of like waited a little bit, got the 70s out of the way, and then they started saving for retirement with 401k. And then the Generation X, my generation, I think partially your generation, um, we've done okay, but we don't have a lot of numbers like baby boomers and millennials. Now, the millennials are starting late. So this article is basically posing the thought that we're looking at an accumulation bubble based on the fact that boomers started late and that the millennials are going to be starting late. 
Um, uh, so when the assets I, I start coming out, yeah. do you see where it's going at with that? And it's basically- <clears throat> oh, I can't. I can't. Harry Dent Jr. He was the guy that was always trying to point to a giant market correction about this time. I believe it was. Um, I'd have to read his different versions of his books. Um, that was talking about. Oh, everybody's going to start pulling money out of the stock market when they turn sixty-five. Okay, where go to bonds that pay one point seven percent? Um, and, and the fact is, is that the majority of baby boomers, unless they inherit money from the depression era, parents that actually saved money are drastically unprepared for retirement. So they're going to continue to work. And that's why things like the secure act. And now you can fund an IRA past age 70 where before that you couldn't, um, they're going to continue to work. They're going to continue to save. And they're not, you don't just pull all your money out of the stock market when you retire. It's ridiculous. You, you transition your portfolio over, say, a 10 year period so it's more balanced. And then you slowly withdraw. And because the baby boomers are going to have to work later because they didn't save money, instead, they bought their new cars and their lattes. The the millennials are going to have kind of a later effect in life, I think, in terms of when they hit their real stride in earnings and savings and things like that. So I don't buy that whole accumulation bubble, and then it's just going to pop. Um, you still look at what are companies doing? Are they growing revenue? Are they controlling their costs? And therefore, that hits their bottom lines or their profit. That's what you got to look at. Okay. So you brought up Perry Denton Jr. So I, I just Googled him again because I haven't used that. I haven't used him for media in like six or seven years at least with his doom and gloom. Um, well, it hasn't always been doom and gloom before it was like, oh, this, you know, best markets coming ever. And then it's, it's people that try to sell based on fear and greed. What, what book and what, uh, back when I first got into the business, say 25 years ago, it was charts that you would have on the wall in your office and they would be selling those types of things. So, so just to give you an idea, he, his own blurb on his book says the man who predicted Japan's lost decade. The recession in 1990-92, the biggest bull market run in U.S. history, and most recently, the 2008 credit crisis, now predicts Dow 3300. The only problem with that Dow 3300 call, he made that nine years ago. (laughs) It's like more like Dow 33,000, not Dow 3300. Right. And again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll change topics because I'm way off topic. Big event coming up on the 6th of February. It's right around the corner. Um, The required minimum distribution... That reform, is that as big of a story as, are we making it it as big of a story as it should be? No, I think that some of the stuff that was there, they thought they fixed problems that they didn't even need to fix. For example, um, one of the things about the the, uh, SECURE Act was that we're going to allow people to fund an IRA past the age of 70 if they're still working. Well, most people that are still working have the ability to put money into a 401k, and, you know, that number is $26,000. So most people, if they're still working past the age of 70, can't afford to put that much anyway. And if you roll all your IRAs into your 401k when you're still working after the age of 70 and a half, um, as long as you're not a 5% or more owner, you didn't have to take required minimum distributions anyway. So it's like they create a bunch of law without talking to certified financial planners. Um, a lot of the Secure Act, Rob, made it a lot easier to sell annuities in 401ks. So that's a problem. Um, and the only good thing that came out about it was the, instead of having to take money out of your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs at age 70 and a half, it's now just age 72, as long as you were, you know, not 70 and a half by the end of last year. So it's, 
a little bit of complication for those people that were kind of in that window. But that means you now have two more years, essentially, from the date of retirement to age 71, because at 72, your RMDs kick in, to consider IRA to Roth conversions to max out your existing bracket and build a tax-free pool of money. So it gives you a little bit more time to do the things that we've been talking about for the last many years. Got it. We have about a minute. Let's talk a little bit about the seminar. Is there anything cute or insightful about this one that's different other than the beginning of the year timetable? Um, no, I mean, we. It, it's cute is, I don't know if that's the, the right word for it. It's updates based on the new law. So we have, we were doing this event all last year because of the 2017 tax act right. that made a lot of changes. And now the secure act, extends those changes and it makes Roth conversions even more important because under the secure act, the stretch IRA is now gone. You used to be able to leave your IRAs to your heirs and stretch it out over their lifetime. Now they have 10 years. That's a big issue for estate planning and for family tax planning that you really have to focus on. That big event's coming up February 6th and I used the wrong word. Cute. That wasn't you. That's not the word that was in my head. But that's what came <laughs> no out. That's, that's live TV, live radio. Chad Burton. You can meet CFP Chad Burton February 6th, Palo Alto, Elks Lodge. Um, to sign up for the event, go to newfocusfinancial.com. There's an events page, but there's also a blog page. And there's also, you can sign up for the email letter that we put a lot of work into to give you good content at least monthly, sometimes more. You can find more information at newfocusfinancial.com. Big event on 6th of February. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'll be honest, this is one of my favorite times of the year. I like the month of January. Start of the year. You have no gains. You have no losses. You can reset your plans. You can save more. It's kind of nice, to be honest with you. Um, Every 90 days we hit earnings season or in earnings season, which is one of the things that I like right now is gives me a gauge of what to expect uh, from corporations and jobs numbers are good and the earnings are okay. Valuations are high. We got U.S. China, U.S. Iran. Now we got the world versus another virus. So there's some things to think about. Good chance to come to an event February 6th in Palo Alto to talk about the year ahead of us in income and retirement planning and wealth preservation and much, much more. Let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, do you like the beginning of the year because it's kind of like out with the old, in with the new? Or does that not work in financial planning because you have to do all the people's taxes and crazy stuff at the beginning of the year? Uh, it's really the end of the year. Like okay. It's the busiest time for us is always just before... Christmas time, trying to get year-end gifting, um, certain types of accounts funded. Uh, a lot of it is gifting these days because we have people, if they're over 70 and a half or now so over 72, gift, make their gifts from their IRAs to help with making their required minimum distributions essentially non-taxable or gifting appreciated shares to their favorite churches and charities and stuff like that. And we tell people to do it all year long and undoubtedly it's always right at the end of the year where you have to give them a deadline. So that's the busiest time for us is right before the end of the year. And then I like to just reset, you know, personal goals, company goals, things like that at and uh, start to remeasure in January. I think, Rob, what was the most interesting about looking back, though, the last two years, Mm -hmm. 
earnings were up a lot in 2018, and the stock market was negative for the first time since 2009. Earnings were flat in 2019, but the market was up over 30%. Isn't that kind of crazy? Isn't it all about the future? I believe the children are our future. Yep. I, can, I have a question for you, because you brought up um, gifting. Mm-hmm. Um, my approach to gifting is different than my spouse's. I'm sure you see that on a regular basis. Um, I, I, the, my story is not that good. Maybe you have a better one. But my spouse wants to gift now to charities, to friends, to family. And I'm like, too soon, too soon, too soon. 50s, too soon. Wait till you're 60 to start gifting. And like, I, I want her to feel more comfortable with her wealth levels mm-hmm. before she starts gifting. And she wants to start gifting because she feels comfortable with her wealth levels. Do you, I'm talking behavioral finance here. Is there any good story that you have that you could pull that ties kind of closely to that? Um, or am I the only wacky know, person? No, it's not. It's it's um, part of it is just understanding where you are and your financial plan. Okay. Right. So if she feels like she's looked at the forecasts and she's looked at how much you know you have now, mm-hmm. how much you're going to accumulate, and even at a very conservative rate of return going forward, let's say you're projecting out at 5.5% with 2% inflation on all of your financial plan. You've got your expenses dialed in in your financial plan. You've got a good tax projection in there. And she's seen, you know, age 95, there's lots of assets left over. Well, one of her main goals, your goals might be, I want to uh, travel more. One of her main goals is I want to make a difference in the world. And so she's using some of that money as a tool to, to make her feel better about life in general and make her you know feel successful and making a difference. But you have to have that understanding first. So if you haven't looked out far enough, Rob, to see those numbers and feel comfortable with them at very conservative rates, knowing that you've done things like Monte Carlo simulation, which takes the you know order of potential stock market returns and randomizes everything and then gives you a success rate. If you don't have that comfort level with that, yeah, you're not going to want to give money away. You're going to want to hoard it and say, no, I, I'm not sure if I have enough yet. Right? So it's just different, different attitudes and goals, I guess. Yeah. I guess it comes down to like, I want people to feel comfortable with their charitable strategy as much as they feel comfortable with their financial planning strategy, as much as they feel comfortable with their income and retirement strategy. That's one of the areas that I think you do really, really well, and that's why we do these seminars, and that's why they're so well attended. People can sign up for the February 6th one in Palo Alto at Elks Lodge by going to newfocusfinancial.com. Now, speaking of behavior, like I don't necessarily trust that my spouse has fleshed out her gifting strategy. How mm-hmm. about that becomes um, behavioral, right? How about the way we approach the S&P 500 in investing and behavioral mm-hmm. and envy of others? They have Apple. I, I want to own an Apple. So I, I had someone ask me yesterday if they should buy Apple. I'm like, you have seen how much it's worth, right? Um, but they have envy. They want what other people's have. Yeah. I mean, in the, a lot of people were buying Apple a couple of years ago just because of the, the high yield on the stock because of the dividend. Yeah. They started raising their dividend and now the stock's gone up so much. It's not anywhere near um, where it was before. It's still, you know, still pays a dividend. They've been increasing their dividend, but the stock's been a run up. So the yield's less than 2%. Right. But, um, I mean, you own it anyway. So what's interesting is that the S and P 500 is a market cap weighted index. So really when you're investing in the S and P 500, you're kind of really, most of your money is going into about 50 to 60 companies. I mean, it's, you've got a tiny piece of 500 different companies, but 
you're talking a very low amount. Um, and some of the other, so some of these smaller companies in the S&P 500 move a lot. It's not going to make as much difference. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be one of the best places to be in the last, you know, especially five years, 10 years. Um, so because it's become a little bit tech heavy and a little bigger companies and things like that. So people get, we were talking about this on the morning show the other day, that what's called S and P envy and BlackRock put this out. And it was actually, it's kind of interesting because BlackRock sourced Morningstar for this study. And it's really a good study in terms of why you still maintain a diversified portfolio, a balanced portfolio. For example, in this article, they talked about having a portfolio of 40% U.S. stocks, 15% international stocks, 5% small cap stocks, 30% U.S. bonds, and 10% high yield bonds. And they marked that portfolio's returns against the S&P 500 over the last, um, you know, since basically the year 2000, August of 2000 to the end of 2019. Sounds good. So, uh, I mean, do we have time to talk about the results? Or you got we... about 30 seconds. Let's tease the results into the next segment. We're talking about S&P 500 envy, years yep. where the markets go up, what we get, what the excuses are, looking at other people's portfolio. It's never a good idea to cheat. You should come up with your 10 own. 10 years, it's crushed a balanced portfolio, but since the August of 2000, the balanced portfolio That's... actually wins, and we'll talk about why. Let's hit that when we come back at CFP, Chad Burton, big event, February 6th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Um, Sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Welcome back in. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. CFP Chad Burton, you can hear him on this very station, 6 a.m. You can also get a podcast, which is a little bit more bearable than 6 a.m. some days. You know what I'm saying? Uh, podcast is available at Apple iTunes or at newfocusfinancial.com. And you can use the code radio25 when you're signing up for the event. Get the podcast. Do it all at once, so to speak. CFP Chad Burton. We were talking a little bit about envy when we left off of looking at other people's portfolios or looking at other markets and saying, I want that. Um, let's finish that discussion, and then let's talk a little bit about the coronavirus, the opposite of envy, fear. Yeah, really. So, um, being in Japan for quite a while, with surrounded by a lot of Chinese um, at most of the kind of touristy sites, mm-hmm. definitely thinking about that a little bit as I just got back a few days ago. Um, but going back to uh, S&P 500 envy, sure. we go through periods of time. I mean, this was one of the best times to be in the S&P 500 over the last 10 years because the S&P 500 from January 2009 to the end of 2019 up 351%, Rob. Pretty amazing. When you put yeah. it that way, 10 years, 351%, I'll take it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so first, got to go back and say, okay, why do we do a diversified portfolio? Mm-hmm. Some people kind of think, oh, I'm going to diversify so I don't lose any money ever. And that's not what it's about. It's, it's about having different assets that are not correlated to the same way. So when the losses occur, the losses aren't as much, and your portfolio doesn't have to recover as far. Also, when you retire, having a diversified portfolio with stuff that has a little bit more current income, because you can get current income out of bonds that pay interest and stocks that pay dividends, especially the ones that increase their dividends on an annual basis. And so by having those dividends coming in to your checking account, let's say, 
you have income to live off of. If you have cash and income to live off of, you never have to sell when the market's down. So your shares stay in your account and they can recover when the stock market does have a decline. So it's, it's a matter of making sure you have the right math essentially in your portfolio. But diversification also means global investing. Okay. And you go through periods of time where, why am I investing globally? This doesn't make any sense because, you know, over the last, uh, in, let's say about eight years or so, U.S. stocks have trounced uh, international stocks. Um, we finally saw some light in emerging markets up about, you know, eight, nine percent last at the end of last quarter. Um, and very nice, positive double-digit year for emerging markets and international developed, but the U.S. still crushed it. That's not always the case. For example, um, from 2002 to 2007, the returns of international uh, of emerging markets were almost doubled out of the U.S. for five years. And the returns from 2002 to 2007 from international developed, so larger companies or larger countries overseas, um, were, you know, U.S. was about 6%. And so, again, it was actually double on international and almost tripled, Rob, on emerging markets. So, that would have helped your portfolio greatly. Um, and then you go from 2000, from 1995 to 2001, it was just the opposite. So, you kind of go through these seven to 10 year rolling periods on who's outperforming, U.S. or international. And you never know when they're going to really occur. I mean, last year we had Brexit and trade war and everything else, and we still had positive numbers in emerging markets, right? Yes. So it all rotates, and it's you know you can't guess and time this stuff. Also, valuations overseas look very attractive right now, um, and if the dollar stops jumping in value, you're going to probably see some pretty decent returns overseas. But you get into this S and P 500 envy, like yep. we're talking about where you look at 20, 2009 to 2019, where the S&P 500 was up 351%. And Morningstar put out this study, and you know BlackRock shot it out as well, where they compared the S&P 500 returns to a balanced portfolio, which is 40% U.S. stocks, 15% international stocks, 5% small cap stocks, 30% U.S. bonds, and 10% high yield bonds. And in that same period, from 2009 to 2019, a balanced portfolio was up 191.7%. Still an amazing return, right? Sure. I'd take it. Doubled your money almost twice. But it was behind the S&P 500, so people start to get this S&P. Why don't I just put everything in the S&P 500 and just forget about it? Well, let's go back, right? If you start back in August of 2000, when they started this study, you know, right before the tech correction started... Between August 2000 and 2002, the S&P 500 was down 40.1%. Now, diversified portfolio only fell 18.6%. So, it still sucked because you're like, I diversified, but I still lost money. Well, yeah, but you lost less than half. So, that means you don't have to come back as far. 2003 to 2007, S&P 500 up 82.9%. But because of the international exposure, a balanced portfolio with much less risk was up almost as much at 73.8%. So you, I didn't make as much. You have, you know, I, I'm, I'm what, seven, eight percent behind the S and P 500. But yeah, you did it with much less risk, and also the previous bad times, you didn't lose as much. So you started with more money. So you had a lot more money earning that amount. And uh, then 2008 comes along. S and P 500 is down 37 percent that year. Diversified portfolio down 24 percent. So again, you're like, I, I still lost money, um, and you're not happy. But you should be because you lost a lot less. 
And then we have that 2009 to 2019 period that I just talked about. But if you go all the way back and you say, what's your ending dollar value? Your ending dollar value is actually more in a diversified portfolio. And it's, and it's crazy, especially when you go this 2009 to 2019, where the S&P was up 351%, and a diversified portfolio was only up 191.7%. But you still ended up with more money because you didn't lose as much during the corrections. So everybody looks at the stock market from you know January 1st to December 31st, and then it's like they, it, it resets in their mind. But you have to look at the actual real dollar returns of a portfolio and not get that S&P 500 envy. Because if you stay the course with a globally diversified balanced portfolio, especially in retirement, you might not make as much in the up years, but you're not going to lose as much in the down years. And in the end, you're going to have more left over over a 20, 30-year period, typically, especially when you're drawing money out of your portfolio. I know this isn't a fair statement, but tell me if you think it's kind of close or in the right vein. When I look at the Callan periodical table, and C-A-L-L-A-N, Callan, um, mm-hmm. I see chunks where like emerging markets outperform the market for five years in a row, 2003 to 2007. Um, that's a pretty big run, like leaving some money on the table. And then I see the Morgan Stanley country index. I see the S P 500 value, the S P 500, the Russell 2000, the Russell 2000 value, the Russell 2000 growth, the S P 500 mm-hmm. growth. I see all these horses and I, I kind of like it, Chad, cause it's a horse race where they all run from the left to the right. And yeah, some years there's underperformers, but they always get to the finish line. I think I'm kind of saying that correctly. Assets tend to go up over time. So bet on all the horses, you'll get a winner eventually. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what Callan has shown us? It's exactly right. And I look at it more as a time to make sure you're rebalancing. Because when you look at that chart, and you you don't even look at the asset classes that each color represents. Just look at the colors and you see that... They end up to be towards the top for three to five years in a row, and then within a couple of years, they're one of the worst places to be. Well said. I'm I'm seeing that exactly right now with the Morgan Stanley emerging markets. Yeah, yeah. And so when you you get an asset class that's been the best place to be ever, like large cap growth, this is the biggest run that I've seen in history versus large cap value or even small caps. So... You, you that's when you start to say, okay, what am I missing out of my portfolio? Now, if you're younger and you're putting money into your 401k, you don't necessarily need to sell. You just add to the asset classes that have underperformed in the last three to five years, because they're probably going to outperform in the next three to five years, and you balance your portfolio with your contributions. But if you're in retirement, it's it's time to start trimming, right? Where <clears throat> Trim first to replenish the cash that you've spent, because you need three years worth of portfolio draws in cash. Um, and then also then trim to see what asset classes that you're missing. One of the things that I really love to look at that chart, because I'm not even looking at it right now, but I have it pretty much memorized, is the, the Russell 2000 value, which is small cap value, yeah. tends to be kind of right in the middle all the time. right? And it's never really the best place to be, but it's never really the worst place to be. It's just a very steady way to invest. And it's uh, you know small cap value companies or companies that are smaller, U.S.-based companies, um, and they, they're, they're trading a, a no, not overpriced valuations. They tend to pay a decent dividend and they tend to be purchased by other companies because they are valuable. Um, so I, I really like the small cap value asset class. Yeah. It's an interesting chart to look at at Callan, uh, what they put together. And there's other companies that do same kind of things like BlackRock has a very similar investment return kind of angle. And then you could do fixed income and 
Charts are a bad thing to look at. They're a good thing to get into. So let's talk fear. We only have about a minute and a half. Uh, the virus issue that's hitting right now, the coronavirus. There's a joke about Corona beers. I'm not going to be the first one to do it. I'll wait. But you and I have been around long enough, 25 years, that we've seen SARS and we've seen swine flu. And I'm not putting words in your mouth. We've seen bird flu. I, I don't see this as a problem in the market. Uh, no. I mean, you've seen the face masks companies rally overseas. That's True. one of the big thoughts. Yeah. It was weird to watch CNBC in Japan because some of the people that I'm like, where did they go from CNBC or, you know, in, in CM- Japan's version of it in Tokyo? Um, but I think people are way more sensitive to it. I mean, when you go overseas in Japan, I mean, everybody was wearing face masks everywhere. It was crazy. It took a few days to get used to. Okay. But they're still so sensitive to things like SARS. Um, that occurred. And, you know, I think they're, they're, the, the reaction is so much quicker with this virus. SARS was kind of swept under the table for a while by China. Okay. Um, so I think that people are much more sensitive. Um, so hopefully it doesn't, you know, create a market event and hopefully they, you know, get it handled very, very quickly, Thanks. but it, it doesn't scare me that much. It's not going to make me pull money off the table. Got it. Come meet CFP Chad Burton February 6th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. He's going to be talking about wealth preservation, retirement income planning. It's something that I'm even more interested in as I'm marching towards retirement. You can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code RADIO25. It's February twenty. It's February 6th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Big event coming up February 6th. Can't wait to see CFP Chad Burton learn more about his misadventures around the world, as well as his ideas on investing in 2020, financial planning in 2020, and getting us to retirement. He's a big part of this show, and we appreciate his smarts that he adds to it. People can sign up at newfocusfinancial.com for the 6th of February, Palo Alto, Elks Lodge, newfocusfinancial.com. Chad, one of the areas where I think you add a lot of value is when you hear, like, the 4% rule. I kind of like it when you get fired up and you're like, ah, it's garbage or it's not garbage. I kind of like it when you get fired up. Linear cash flow models is another way of saying something about the 4% rule. And I don't want to put the two together, but this isn't, this is science on a lot of levels, but you're dealing with a lot of people's behaviors as well. Um, thoughts on the linear cash flow model. Well, linear cash flow models, if you go on any financial website to do a free uh-huh. retirement analysis, that's what you're getting, a linear cash flow model, assuming that you plug in a rate of return for your portfolio, and your portfolio is going to get that each and every year, which we all know that doesn't happen. right? It just doesn't. Right. Um, and then it's also garbage in, garbage out. So if you put in a rate of return that's way too high, and you're going to base your retirement on that, that's a that's not a good move. And if you forget about inflation, which will run, you know, somewhere around two percent for normal expenses, somewhere around four or five percent for healthcare costs, you've got to put a conservative estimate in for both of those numbers, and then run it out to see if you have enough money. But math, when it comes to investing, even the way that mutual funds report average annual returns. Um, instead of what money do I have left at the end of the game is it's just kind of misleading. Um, just because they use arithmetic mean versus what dollars do I have left over at the end of the day? Right? So the 4% rule is in trouble. A couple of reasons. First of all, prior to the great recession, 10 year treasury was, you know, over 5%. 
Now it's under 1.8%. So all of your bond funds are paying a third of what your parents' bonds were paying, if not even less. Okay. So the the 4% rule was created in the 90s, and interest on your CDs and bonds are much lower. Now, it's also been traded by a much lower rate of inflation, so there's a little bit of a trade-off there. But 4% isn't right anymore, because people are living longer and bonds aren't paying as much. So there's also a perfect example that Forbes just put out, and I posted it a couple of days ago on the New Focus Financial uh, Facebook page, that shows what happens... Um, if you have a flat 5.5% rate of return versus different scenarios where the average annual rate of return is still 5.5%, if you add up all the numbers and divide it by the number of years, but the results are much, much different, whether the good times come in the beginning, the middle, or the end, or whether the bad times come in the beginning, the middle, or the end. And all of them have a 5.5% average rate of return, but it's called the order of stock market returns. It's really hard to explain on radio, but I think the article is one of the best ones that I've seen to help people understand the game of math when it comes to investing. The game of just math. Like, yeah, it's just like we talked about before. The, S, the, 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 glo- the globally diversified balanced portfolio, several periods had a lower rate of return than the S&P 500, but you still ended up with more money. Because those years when the market corrected, you didn't you didn't fall as much. So you started the new year with a higher dollar value, even though it earned a lower rate of return versus the S&P 500. You started that year with a higher dollar value. So you still ended up with more money. Um, and also, it's really important, another, you know, the tough part about math and investing when it comes to retirement planning is you're always drawing from your portfolio. And so... That's the only time when timing matters. You do not want to have to be forced to sell shares of companies, mutual funds, ETFs, when the market is down. You need protection from that. That doesn't mean go all in or all out. You just need protection from the down years, which happens to be around 25 to 35% of the time. Market's going to treat you really, really well as long as you don't, aren't forced to sell during the down years that happen to come every once in a while. Okay. Hey, I think that sums that up well. And there's a copy of this at the Facebook. I'm, I'm messing yeah, just, up my Facebook pages right now. I was going to say Cron, but that's not right. Facebook New Focus Financial. Yeah, just go to chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com and click on the Facebook link. Okay. Um, that'll bring you right there. It's uh, towards the bottom of the page now. I'm embarrassed to say this. I've never done that. I know the Facebook page, but I didn't know there was a link on our Facebook on our uh, webpage. Uh, yep. Things we don't yep, know. Yep, it is there. Anything you want to hit? We have two minutes left. We can't possibly hit everything that's on your list. Uh, no, I think I'd also check out the podcast that's up under the insights on the, it used to be the six tests for yeah. before you retire, six portfolio and life tests. Now it's seven. Okay. What got uh, added? Just basically practicing retirement, Rob. <laughs> I've seen people retire with a ton of money that are freaking miserable because they don't have a plan of what they're going to do with their life. And they kind of freeze. Um, I saw a friend recently, Stefan, and I talked about this in the first hour. He he didn't retire, but he kind of quit his job to take care of his mom. He's like 55, 56. And he said the last three years have been miserable. And it's kind of like it foreshadows his retirement on a level of he doesn't have any friends or hobbies when he do, he's not working. 
Yeah. And that's kind of made me think as I hit 45, you know, I, I've been doing this for 25 years and I want to work a long time because I love it. So my thoughts now are to hire more people that are smarter than me to help take some of the load off of my plate so I can do things like travel more and do bigger memories with my kids while I'm still young and I can snowboard with them and everything else. Good luck hiring because people smarter than you. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> You're going to have to look long and hard because I've never met, and this is unsolicited endorsement, I've never met a better financial planner. With a, I mean, you have crazy – other financial planners look at you and say that's crazy knowledge. It is, but I've got financial planners, six other CFPs, and they're so much better at the – you know, uh, implementation and monitoring and the details that have to go into it, where I like to move really fast and create strategy. So it's a great team approach. Thanks very much. It's CFP Chad Burton. Looking forward to seeing you February 6th in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Go to newfocusfinancial.com for lots more information about the event and sign up using code radio 25.